Abba Yahweh, you are so, so full of blessings and your guidance. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. And not for the P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S's, but for your P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, your presence here with us always that you promise to do. And as John so often tells us in every single thing he wrote and writes about, your love, your love, your love, your grace and mercy because of your love. Abba Yahweh, this day, this opportunity, thank you. Abba Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua, Aman, Parakritas, Aman. So um, I'm going to share something with you today from my reading because it's as if it's a direct note that God took the time to write down on his, well, he did. He does this sort of thing actually quite often if we pay attention to it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna share this with you because it's something that I've shared before. Approach each new day with desire to find me. Seek him and ye shall find him. I've shared this so many times. If you seek offense, you're going to find it and you're going to be offended by something. But what I have learned and what I've come to see and realize and be taught is that those that seek offense are not seeking truth. If you seek to find offense, you will surely find offense and you will find something to be agitated or upset about. And it's not about truth. If the individuals were looking for truth, they wouldn't be offended. And why are you not offended by all the slanders and lies and all the deceit and the stealing and robbing derisiveness and all the hatred and all the mongering and all that's going on around you today? Why is that not offensive? But you find instead some reason to get onto a bandwagon and be offended by the fact that somebody is in disagreement with you, that you have something that you want to be offended about. Further reading. Before you get out of bed, I have already been working to prepare the path that will get you through this day. I share this countless times. I'm going to keep doing it. And, and sometimes, like I said, things that I repeat and get repetitive about, it bears repeating. And that tithe offering that you give to God, it's not all just about the monetary. Before you get out of bed in the morning and get up and go through and start the course of the day, take time to talk to God. Sacrifice your rising and shining Talk to God. Thank him for the day. Thank him for the lessons. Pray for your brothers and sisters. 
I actually get kind of grumbly when I'm, if I get up too quickly and I miss that. Sometimes, you know, I got to go take care of something that's important. Not more important than God, but, well, anyway, without getting too graphic and personal, I'll let you know that it's a necessary thing that has to be done. And then I'll get moving around. I go out the other door and I I start moving into the course of the morning. And one the first thing I do is I ask God to forgive me and, and I get right back in and I get in his presence and I pray for brothers and sisters. I pray for you all. I told you and have told you. I pray for you on my going out, my coming in. My going out is the beginning of the day. Before I get into anything else, my time is in with God, taking time with him, taking time at my desk to either be in the Bible study and, and get into that. And then I have to do this thing. I have to be about his business. But before I get up and start the course of my day, I am praying over you all, praying over this nation, these egregious, egregiously behaving politicians that they might repent and turn away. We have to do that. We are told, Paul writes in Second Timothy and, and tells him, he said that we are to pray for all the kings and princes and those that are in authority. They have an opportunity to repent. Why shouldn't we pray for them? Why should we not pray for anyone? And I, I've seen and heard, oh, breaks my heart when people that claim to be a Christian talk this way. Why should I pray for them? Look how they're behaving. Why should I pray for them? Look what they did to me. Why should I pray for them? Look how I behave. Well, excuse me. I have an answer for that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Why should Jesus Christ have come to this earth and hung on the cross for you? You see how you did that? You see how you treat them? You see how you did all that over there? What about that debt you owe? Hmm. Why should he come and hang on the cross for your forgiveness? Ah, slap in the face was that? Get you a little agitated, did that? Maybe it should have. Maybe it was meant to. Because here's the deal. That's exactly what you're doing. You're trying to usurp the authority of Lord God Almighty and Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who came to this earth to pay a debt that we had no, we had not, anywhere close to the amount necessary to pay the debt. And he came and he paid it. And then you, some of you are out there are going to declare to be a Christian, but you're only doing that for self-worth and self-attention and self-centeredness. And then you turn and you say, why should I pray for them? Why should I forgive them? I can't forgive them. Oh, so now you're sovereign God and you decide who gets forgiven and who doesn't? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting that you declare that, but yet you love the fact that Jesus came and sacrificed himself and forgave you and God forgives you and God has forgiven you, but you won't forgive others? Hmm. Issues there. And if the shoe fits, then wear it. Got some knickers twisted up there, sitting and squirming in the chair uncomfortably because your knickers are all twisted and all knotted up. 
well, maybe that's a good thing. You need to be talking to God about that issue. I'm just pointing it out, and I don't even know if it specifically applies to anybody out there, and I'm not going to call your name out for it. But we are told in the word of God by his tenants that we are to pray one for another. Do you think that that means only for those in the church family, brothers and sisters, that no one else is to be prayed for and has an opportunity to be saved and go to heaven and to repent from what they've done and to ask forgiveness for what they've done? They don't know how to get there but you praying for them helps open their heart to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And remember when I share with you that when the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's just a tugging your heart to get you to change your direction. Not convicting you to condemnation, convicting you to make you think about what you're doing, to turn a different direction, to turn around, to repent and come to salvation. Because Jesus came, God sent him because he so loved the world, every single person. So how are you, by your self-imposed authority, going to decide that you're not going to pray for somebody? You're not going to forgive them? When God sent Jesus and died on the cross for all of us that whosoever believe on him, not any particular color, not any particular ethnicity, not any particular group of people, that whosoever would believe on him and believe that he came as the only begotten son of God would be forgiven their sin and become an heir and a joint heir in the kingdom the king's domain, that would be heaven. And remember that while we're walking on the plane, this plane of existence, that his domain is to be in our heart. Further reading. Before you get out of bed, I have already been working to prepare the path that will get you through this day. There are hidden treasures strategically placed along the way. Some of the treasures are trials designed to shake you free from the earthly shackles. Others are blessings that reveal my presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. -E. The sunshine, the flowers, the birds, friendships answered prayers. I have not abandoned this sin-wracked world. I am still richly present in it. Look around with spiritual eyesight and see the mountains, see the trees, feel his breath in the breeze of the wind as it blows. And even the soft breeze, his gentleness, the caress of his fingertips as a breeze goes through your hair. His majesty and the roaring of the waves, the waterfalls. See his majesty and the galloping of a horse in a, 
in the paddock or in the pasture and you see them oh, so beautiful. And then the other creatures that move about this world. But sadly, there are those that don't look that way and they hurt these other creatures just to do so. God spoke to his prophet and he told him to tell the nation that they that do this thing to these creatures that I have created for no good reason makes me angry. So you go ahead and you keep hurting these animals and these other creatures for no good reason, just to be mean, nasty, and cruel. No other apparent reason for it. God's going to ask you about it. Oh, it will happen. But just think about it. Don't do it, please. Search for deep treasure as you go through this day. You'll find me all along the way. Seek and ye shall find. Remember that he tells us in his word, what is that that we're supposed to look for that is that great, as a man searches for a beautiful woman, as man or woman, they seek the richest treasure. We are supposed to seek wisdom in that manner. And God tells, and where do you find wisdom? Wisdom is that collection of knowledge and showing how to utilize it and share it. But you can't get true knowledge and wisdom unless you get truth. Because true knowledge and wisdom comes from truth. It doesn't come from deception and it doesn't come from lies. And, you know, you get those smarty pants that jump around and they're laughing at people because they have deceived them. Doesn't make you wise. And you think that you know better. There will be and there are repercussions for all that. Shared this with you as well, brothers and sisters. I was not walking with the Lord as I should have been and ought to have been. And I am living in that consequential life of that choice, which was a foolish choice. I thought I was and believed it, but I wasn't. So you have to believe and have faith that God is with us through everything that we do, and he is. I mean, I have... And I've shared this with you before, empirical evidence that shows me that he is. And this, what I'm sharing with you in his note that he wrote this morning to me. And in this, he says, search for deep treasure as you go through the day that you will find me all along the way. Search for that wisdom that God is willing to impart. If you ask for it, he will share with you and he will show it to you. But you have to search for it like you're looking for that precious gem, that valuable mineral, that most beautiful woman or the most handsome man if a woman is looking. 
Don't want to get any knickers all twisted up about gender issues. But you have to search in that way. Why is there that... analogy in that way because that's exactly what we do we search for things that way you can you can look for things but when you search and you put a diligent deep thought process and and effort to it this is what you have to do when you open the bible when you open the word of god and you seek him and you seek his truth his knowledge, and his wisdom, and you seek his face, you will find it in every turn. In every turn, there's an example of how and where, and the Holy Spirit will guide you and show you how to do it. And Paul reminds us to study and show ourselves approved to our heavenly Father. And you're in his word. And when you memorize scriptures, a little hard for me to do, but I'm I'm working on it and he gets it. But God sits back and he smiles. He sits back and he smiles because he says, my children are working at it. It pleases my heart. My children, they're working, they're trying, they're really trying to do this thing. And I know how broken that plane of existence is. It breaks my heart. I had to destroy it once. I don't want to do it again. And it pleases me that they're in my word and they're trying so hard. And there are many that are walking away from this and that breaks my heart. But there are so many that are coming back and doing what I asked them to do. They're in my word. They're looking for me. They're looking for me. And there I am. Looking for me? There I am. Brothers and sisters, our Lord God delights in the fact that we get in the word, that we talk to him, we pray to him. I've shared with you already, share it with you again. John was shown by the angel that came while he was on the island of Patmos. And what did he do? He came and he took John and they went up to the temple and he revealed a side room, an anteroom, as you will. And there were many golden vials. What are in those vials? The prayers of the saints. Who are the saints? We are the saints. If you have accepted that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, and you go to church and you do, and you follow his tenets and you do those things, and you pray, they are like a sweet, savoring incense to his nostrils. He loves it, and he takes those, and he opens them just a little, and he smells. I can I get this picture of God, and he's got the one hand, and he's got his thumb and four fingers. Just open the, the lid on this thing just a little bit, and he just kind of waves it to where he can smell it. It's a sweet savor to his nostrils. The angel told John he loves them. He loves the prayers of the saints. When you pray, they are vital to God. And sometimes I hear people say that, how do I know that he's listening? Well, it's hard sometimes. And 
when you don't get a response that you are looking for, that you expect. See, that's, a, that's one of the things, too, is you can't expect God to respond the way you want him to because it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are so much higher than our ways. Can't even begin to understand. But remember what he's saying here. Search for deep treasure as you go through the day. You will find me all along the way. Guidance from the Holy Spirit. Seek that spiritual eyesight, the spiritual hearing. Listen to him speak to you and the chirping of the birds and the breeze as it blows and you hear thunder in the distance. He's there. I love being off in the distance and sometimes being in the midst of a thunder shower, lightning thunder shower. I think about God. It's really powerful. And here's the thing, and God knows this. This is why this is why the Proverbs were written. <laughs> A man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps and he makes them sure. This is that thing that I've shared with you about pre-planning. That is given and meant as a gift. <clears throat> and we so oft times turn the gifts that God gives to, we change them and make them kind of chaotic and kind of mess them up. I, I've done that thing. So I sit in the consequential aftermath of that thing that I did. I've shared with some of you what I did. And I know and I believe in my heart of hearts down there with the love that God provides. But I don't, I don't, um, I can't sit in the past and waller in it because that's the kind of thing that Satan wants me to do. Because there's two places that are in violation of the tenets of God, two places that we don't go and this is where the pre-planning part that we mess up comes in. There's two places that we don't belong because they're not ours. They belong to God. And that's in the past and in the future. They're not ours. What does is ours is here and now. What are you going to do here and now? Are you going to follow God's tenets? Are you going to be about our Heavenly Father's work? Are you going to be a slow? Are you going to be a slothful Christian? Are you going to be one who's in prayer and one that does what he should do? Or you go to church once a quarter, once every six months, when there's a special event that your kids want you to go to, or because your spouse begs you to go. But that's okay because you know what? You go down there, you're liable to find out that something is going to turn. 
But brothers and sisters, this pre-planning thing that we do, that God has given us the ability to pre-plan, but that doesn't mean that we stay out in the future and get this stuff all wrapped up and we start taking all this thing. It just allows us to be aware that these things are coming and that we pray about it and that we can even notate it in the... In, but I have seen people that will absolutely fill a day planner and they do all this pre-planning as if it's a guarantee that it's going to be done by them or that they're going to be involved. Remember what the word tells us? There's several places it talks about this. It talks about this walk that we're on is, it's like a mist. And that tomorrow is not promised. Tomorrow's not a guarantee. It's a blessing that God provides every single day. That's why I thank God for waking me up and breathing the breath in my lungs, getting me up a chance to share and to do this thing that he has called me to do and given to me, this gift that he's given to me, this, this podcast is his, it's not mine. That's why my name, I took my name off of it. My name was on there for a little while and then, you know, because I thought it kind of sounded, you know, Raven and Haven and, you know, a little rhymey, 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 dimey, dimey, rhymey. But you know what? It's not even mine. My name does not belong here. I don't have the sponsorship. You can get sponsors on these things. I didn't know that. But I can get paid for doing what I'm doing. I'm an old broke guy, but God takes care of my needs, what I really need. And sometimes he gifts me with things that are just so, he's so good. But brothers and sisters, being out there so far out in the future and filling that day planner up with so much stuff. And then what happens when we get there? Then we fall into this mess that Satan loves to have us in. We get all agitated about, are we gonna get it done? Are we gonna get it done? I can't get it done. And even individuals that work within a church do the same thing because they think that all this stuff that they do that's got to get done by a certain time and sometimes it has to be done before the next Sunday so their time is all filled up. They don't have any time for the kids. They don't have any time for the house. They don't have any time to fix dinner. They don't have any time for this and that and this and that and this and that because they're overworking in the church and it's got to be done because the pastor needs it before next Sunday. And the elders of the church have expressed that, that it's got to be done before next Sunday. Oh, I got this that needs to be done before next Sunday. I got this that needs to be done before Wednesday. So then you get caught up in all this stuff that really doesn't need to be done by any such time. They just want it done. So you get caught up in pre-planning all that and you fill up your day planner. And yeah, it even happens to those that are working for the church and think that they're doing all this great stuff. But you can fill up your day planner too much there too. Pre-planning. The Bible talks about it. So caught up in this stuff. And this is what I shared with you before. That Saul nearly misses anointing by Samuel to be the king of Israel. Why? Because he was caught up in his stuff. But that's, a, that's an analogy or a, a metaphor that can go 
the day planner. It's stuff. You get caught up in all this stuff and you don't take time to talk to God. You don't take time to sit down, uh, take a lunch and, and visit with God. You don't take time to talk to God. I don't have time to do this anymore. And Satan rattles your cage because he's got you all caught up in all that stuff. And then the other place that we don't belong is in the past, but he loves to get us to go there. Oh, he loves to get us to go there. Why? Because when we go there, then we start being, get caught up in the remorse and regret and all the things that you should have done, you would have done, could have done, should have done, but you didn't do. He loves to get us caught up in that. And then once he gets us to do, he gets us to go out and swim into the sea of forgiveness where God threw some of this stuff in a box because he told us he would. And then you take a dive and you take a deep breath and you go down there and you pick up that stupid case and you bring it back and you carry it up into the attic, which is your mind, and you toss it up there in the attic and then you've got the serpents and the scorpions that will click, clack, click, clack, click, clap and get up the stairs. And then they get into that attic and they start kicking the boxes around and make noise. And then they tip it over and oh, lo and behold, it opens. And then all this stuff that was in the past that you should have forgot about, could have forgot about, would have forgot about if you had left it in the sea of forgetfulness where it was thrown. But you didn't. And you went back and you picked it up. I've done that, and I work hard at talking to God for forgiveness and doing that because, brothers and sisters, we don't belong there. The only thing that we should be looking in the past for is the fact that God has been with us and cares for us. It's like that the lithograph I've shared with you called Footprints in the Sand. I think that's what it's called. I can't remember. I saw it a long time. It's been around for a really very long time. But there's only one set of footprints in the sand. And the individual is whining and crying to God. Why did you leave me? Why did you go? I look back and there's only one set of footprints in the sand. Why'd you leave me? God looks down and says, my child, I didn't leave you. You only saw one set of footprints because that's when I was carrying you. That's when I held you in my arms and I pulled you in close to my heart and held you tight to protect you from the wind and the rain and all that lightning and thunder that was going on around us. And I kept walking with you, but I was carrying you. I didn't go anywhere. You didn't see because you were burying your head in my robe. You were frightened. And you didn't know what to do, but I did. And I carried you. And I held you close because I love you. For God so loves the world. A man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps and makes them sure. Proverbs 16, 9. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Sounds like something John would say. John is always talking about God's love into the heart of 
God. Always talking about his love. Why they called him John the Beloved. The one whom Jesus loved. Jesus loves us all, but John was kind of made it a point to be as close and as near to Jesus as he could, which we all should do. Further, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Man, does that sound like John? It's not. That's in the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. Two, two through three, you'll find in that letter. Paul wrote that. But it's very important in that writing. May have the full riches of complete understanding encouraging the heart and united in love. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. That's a song that I can remember. Goodness gracious, I think I first heard that in junior high school. I was going to Bible studies and all that stuff. My One of my older brothers, he was a, a youth pastor and then an associate pastor at a church, which I love that church. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a... Um, I can't remember the name of the Southern Methodist, Southern Baptist, something. But it was the black pastor and um, it was a, oh, I, I, I love that church. I love the church. I love it. He used to sing. Oh, he would sing the sermon of the day. He would get up and he'd start and he would start singing. Oh, it was powerful could feel the Holy Spirit walking through that place. It was so powerful. But here's the thing. My brother is has Native American heritage and looks about as wonder bread as, as you could possibly get. But they decided because of his love for God and their love for God that he was the associate pastor at that church. A predominantly black church, but in in the neighborhood that it was in, we had the Latinos and, and a few mixed. But and I used to go down to that church every other Sunday or or whatever, because I mean we had a family church that we went to, and I was young in those days. And I remember that there was a a music ministry that was going on in that church, and I met a man there that was so powerfully driven to provide music for the children of God. His name is Andre Crouch. Some of you might know that name. I met him when he was, before Andre Crouch became the record label Andre Crouch. This was, he was, he was starting out and would play the piano. Oh my gosh. And that, that sermon that night was, oh, Thank you, Father God. So powerful. And the spirit was walking there. And when he came up and he grabbed me and he hugged me and, and uh, I mean, he knew my brother by name. It was this, he, this was before he became anybody or became that record label somebody. 
he knew my brother by name and he looked down at me because I was just a kid and he said, oh, you must be Arthur's brother. And he pulled me in and gave me a big old hug and that man was so drenched. It was like somebody, that, but he was, he was, oh, ministering in song to the Lord and to the people that were there. But the point that I'm driving here is that it was united in the love and back when I was still that age, there was that song, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. And this is what John tries to drive. And this is what they don't know now. And why is that? Because when you look around so much, you see so much derision is because the separation that the, the devil and his minions are driving that wedge between us. But this letter that Paul, part of the letter that he wrote to the Colossians, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. That we are one heart. We are brothers and sisters. Why? Because God loves us so much that Jesus came and died for us. We have no authority except to step on the heads of the serpents and to crush the scorpions and to face down the power of the enemy himself and no harm shall come to us when we declare that power and authority. He can't. And when we declare that, we look him in the eye and we tell him, Satan, be gone. Get thee behind me in the name of Jesus. He must flee because the authority that Jesus possesses is much greater than his. He likes to think that we're trying. This is why he camouflages himself as that big old dragon. And he puffs himself up. And he gets people to believe that he is as God. That he is omniscient which means all-knowing, but he's not. That's why he has minions at work for him because they have to go out in the world and they have to collect information. Then they go back and report to their general. That would be him. That heavenly attribute that he used to have to be able to travel around, he can't. So he has to have his minions go around and do his bidding for him and then report back to him, as they do, because they're going to run back and tattle. And he's not omnipresent, because he can't be. That means with us all the time. He can't be. He doesn't possess that ability. That's why he has, again, the minions work for him and get around and then they report. And he's not omnipotent. He's not all powerful. He can't be, he can make himself appear to be things. He can camouflage himself so that you become frightened, which is exactly what he wants. Remember Peter describes him as the roaring lion. But when you stand upright, boldly, courageously, and tell him, get thee behind me, that tur lion turns into a kitten. Instead of that mighty, ah, that's a 
feeble, and off he goes. He must flee because the authority that our Lord has is much greater. And when Jesus went and wrested the keys from him, that's when everyone used to be afraid. But Jesus didn't ask the permission, said, hey, Satan, you have to give me those now. I'm here, it's me. He didn't do that. He reached out and he took those. When you rest something, he grabbed that key ring of all those keys to death and to the pit. And he took that key ring and he twisted it and took it right away from him. And Satan had no recourse but to bow his head and back up and back away because he had no authority. I'm going to read this one again because this is really important and really powerful. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Seek his face. Seek the wisdom because God will give it to you. All you have to do is ask. You have not because you ask not. Knock and it will be open to you. He'll invite you in to sit down and sup with him. He will commune with you. He wants a personal relationship with you. And this is an important part here that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That is a great mystery. How is it that the only begotten son of God came down and manifests himself and he was with God from the beginning, but yet he knows this thing. A mystery. But here's the thing too, that we can't ever try to understand that because of our finite minds. This is why we get in trouble with pre-planning because our finite minds, we put way too much garbage in there and we get caught up in that and then we start tripping and stumbling around and we forget that God has our path ordinated. Our steps are ordinated. If we pay attention and we put our faith and belief in the Holy Spirit to guide our steps, our faith and belief in God, our Heavenly Father, and we know that Jesus is his only begotten Son, and that's where our mind and our heart belongs. And then there's a scripture that sounds like a lot of something that Paul talked about or even Jesus talked about. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is a key to this treasure. The auspicious fear. This is where it becomes very important to be humble. Be bold and courageous. We can boldly walk into the presence of God, but do so humbly. Don't come in with arrogance and haughtiness as the pharisaical tyrants declared and they tried to do with Jesus. Not even knowing who they were talking to or knowing what they were talking about. They, did, they couldn't even follow the scripture. They couldn't under, understand the parabolic speech that he spoke of, even from the books of the prophets. But here's the thing. God 
was speaking parabolic speech through the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. Go back there and read the scriptures. Find a lot of that through his prophets. But here's the thing. He will be the sure foundation. Jesus was talking about the foundation. Don't be, you know, building the house on sand. Be like the foolish man who built the house. But be the wise man who built that house on stone. And it sounds like something that would come out of the New Testament, doesn't it? But this is a prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 33 and 6, you'll find that, that I just read. Back in the Old Testament. And this is important because this, brothers and sisters, is part of that thing I share with you fairly often. And the rule of faith, the rule of faith. And that's important because the rule of faith is you study, and it's important that that, uh, this ties in with what Paul was teaching us. And that the rule of faith, from the front cover to the back cover, the back cover to the front cover, and everything in between. Study to show yourself approved. Study the word of God to show yourself approved that you are searching. You are seeking his truth, his knowledge, and his wisdom. You are seeking his face. You are seeking his presence. It's an important place to be, brothers and sisters. Because I share with you some things that are seemingly bleak and dark and and all these things, but you have to understand that what I share with you, Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. I'm not sharing anything new. And for those individuals out there that are declaring doom and gloom and, oh, I don't read that because it's so dark and it's so... Wait a second. So you're deciding that Jesus had no place to share about everything he was telling us was going to happen before he comes back, that that has no place in your studies and that you're deciding that you don't like it because it's so dark? Whoa. Be careful, don't overstep your boundaries and don't overstep your authority because you don't have that authority. Study to show yourself approved and that's not gonna get you a stamp of approval. It's important that we pay attention to all these things, but don't get caught up in the darkness. Yeah, it's a dark, bleak kind of thing. Look, but look around. This is all not because God ordained it this way. This is what man and mammon has done to this place that we exist in right now. And what's bright and shiny for me is that this is not my home. This is a residence. This is my, I have a work visa. And as a student worker, an intern, I guess you might call it, We'll put it in layman's terms so you see and understand this. I'm an intern that God has me working. I have a degree. 
I don't have a theological degree that is signed by some Yahoo at some university here, but my degree comes from Heaven Sent University. God has declared that it's something he wants me to do, to be about his business, to share his truth and his knowledge and his wisdom to the best of my ability. And he allows that and the Holy Spirit guides me. And I might not be as eloquent a speaker as many are out there. And I was brought up different. And... I'm just about his truth, his knowledge, and his wisdom, period. I'm not looking at everything to be all pretty, pretty, and smelling sweet, and presented, and, you know, I try to I try to be cautious, because I know there are those out there that get all offended. They find some reason to get their knickers all twisted up, so I try to be careful, but that's not the important part. If you allow yourself to be that way, that's because you are doing it to yourself. And that's an important thing. This is a, I'm going to share this with you. And the Lord allows me to do this because it's what I am. <laughs> I'm a Native American. And there were sayings that we had that apply and that have been around for a whole lot longer than many individuals have been. But in my heritage and my culture, we used to share a word that they said it differently. And I'm trying to reteach myself my own language. But you can only be embarrassed if you allow yourself to be embarrassed. You can only feel guilty if you allow yourself to feel guilty. You can only be offended if you allow yourself to be offended. So I'm saying that to say this, knock it off. Stop allowing it. Stand up, be bold, be courageous, and be righteous. You can be angry about things. The Bible tells us we can do that. It's in Paul's several of Paul's letters. But don't sin in your anger. You can be angry and not agree with somebody. That's okay. Let me share this with you. That's, here's a big Surprise for many because they don't see that and they don't understand it. Jesus didn't like a lot of people. I can promise you this, that Jesus didn't like the Sanhedrin. He didn't like the thieves that were up there that had decided that they were going to change the courtyard in the front of the synagogue to a place to change money. Didn't like them, but he still loved them. He didn't beat them like they probably deserved to be because they were stealing not only from God, but they were stealing they were stealing from the poor people that came to want to honor God and be with God. And you might look and say, well, they just sure deserve to get this and that and this and that and this and that. They may have, but God, Jesus didn't do it. He just drove them out. He did so like he would do camels or cattle or sheep. And he didn't beat them. He drove them with a scourge. There's a difference between, you know, and you have to be able to understand that. As he, he did. He, I mean, he flogged them at it and he sent them on their way. But they became so agitated, they probably thought that he was, because I'm, I'm telling you, he, he was incensed. So they were fearful of the fact that he was going to just whop on them. 
But he didn't. He just drove them away. And he knew he was going to do that, but he wasn't going to let them just walk out. He, they had to know. It had to be known that they were really, really, really doing something bad. And you have to understand that it wasn't only money changers here. The pharisaical tyrants were in the midst of this thing because they were getting, they were making money. Remember when Paul went into the, um, oh, goodness gracious, I can't, I'll look it up and find a specific scripture, but remember that they had these these uh, prophets that were working for the city council and they were prophesying and doing all this stuff, but they were getting paid for it. And when Paul and his fellows, they, <laughs> they prayed the truth into him and he wasn't able to do that anymore because what he had been doing was lying and they were making money on it and they weren't able to anymore. So then they went to kill Paul and his fellows and they were guided out of the city. The Pharisees were agitated because now their money-making operation that they had was now a halt was put to that. And the people were going to be paying attention to them because the people were going to be watching for truth now. And just like Jesus tried to get the Sanhedrin to understand, they totally didn't get it. Truth. Truth. And the truth will set you free. I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, and I am the light, the light of the world. And if you see this light and you share this light and you have this light, they will know you are Christians by your love, by your love. Brothers and sisters, hear my prayers, my going out, my coming in.